Andrea and I need your help. If you like our episodes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. Not sure exactly how that helps us, but it does, and it makes people want to listen. When they see that five stars and a good review from you, So go to wherever you're listening to your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever, and hit that five stars. In the 1930s, there was Bonnie Parker, Al Capone, Dillinger, and Babyface Nelson. But one character from the South has garnered the attention of a filmmaker and a storyteller and many more people who are interested in this true crime tale. Today, we have questions about the 1930s killer, Helen Spence. We're joined by our esteemed Denise Parkinson, who is from South Arkansas and has created quite a bit of content about it. Denise, how are you doing today? Very well, and thank you all for having me. Nice, nice. Now, you've tell us a little bit about your project, what you've you got a book and a movie and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, uh, just walk us through what's going on. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, Daughter of the White River was published in 2013. So Daughter by of the White Press. River is the it book? Came to, yes, it's actually called Daughter of the White River, Depression Era, Treachery and Vengeance in the Arkansas Delta. Nice. That's, because there was a, quite a lot of that going on in the Depression. Well, it's kind of every day in the Arkansas Delta, even today, I think. There's nothing there, man. That's exactly what uh, several people have said to me when I've interviewed octogenarians over the years. They would say, well, there's always a depression in Arkansas. (laughs) It's called living in the South. (laughs) It's true. The northwest corner is so very different than over towards the Delta. Well, and I said some listeners will know that I my father is from Stuttgart, which is how far away from where this incident happened? Oh, it's in the same county. It's in Arkansas County, so it's about yeah. 30 miles away from where most of the storyline took place. Yeah, and so I, I grew up going there four or five times a year for a week at a time, and I mean, I'm very familiar with the area, and, you know, people are people, but some of the barbecue was good, and some of it is probably, I don't know if that was the way they kept dogs under control or what, because it wasn't <laughs> very good at all. Oh, my gosh. Don't scare everybody. <laughs> Yes, right. I'm so tell us a little bit about your your your. It, we've got a little bit of a lag um, on our time, so we've got about a ten second lag, maybe a five second lag between you hearing us, uh, and that's okay. But I just let the audience know why there's some kind of weirdness going on because I don't edit these things; I leave it up as an actual conversation, and it just makes it more natural. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a hesitation in her hearing us today, but. Let us walk us through what made you even begin to be curious about Spence. All righty. Helen Spence was unknown to me uh, completely, even though I spent a lot of time in Stuttgart. I have 
family cousins there in Stuttgart. But I mostly spent time on the White River at Clarendon, which is up the river. But Arkansas County was home to uh, a woman named Helen Spence that I found when I went looking for my own family history because we were houseboat people at Clarendon and the government destroyed our houseboat. And then my great grandmother was in another houseboat on a different levee near Pine Bluff, the Arkansas River levee. And the government destroyed her houseboat there and evicted her from there as well. And it really. How was that even possible? Because people consider river people to be river rats. And that's well. Explain to us a little bit about the the living on a on a, on a boat in the river. I'm I'm unf, I'm unfamiliar. Well, sadly. these are okay. These I'd are, like to know a little bit more about that. These are shandy boats, and this is why I'm so glad that I get a chance to talk to you and Andrea because very few podcasters in Arkansas have have reached out to me. The ones that have, I'm overjoyed because um, most of the podcasts have been from both coasts, uh, interested in houseboat culture and river culture. So our family had lost everything and it really messed up my family. And so when I grew up, I couldn't understand why my family was so just completely destroyed. And so I decided to find out what happened on the river. And I found a historian here in hot Springs where I was living and I introduced, called him up, out of the phone book, heard about him, sought him out. And then we became great friends. And he not only gave me all the secrets of the river that he knew, he told me about Helen Spence. And I made a vow to him that I would continue his work to clear her good name because he passed away in 2015. So his story is in the book. His name is Mr. Brown. L.C. Brown, Lemuel Cressy Brown, and he was friends with Helen Spence in Arkansas County. Oh, he was really friends with her. Yeah, she was older than him, but like they were all together on the river. Their families were close. Uh, He had an uncle with a house. That's cool. So how do these people end up on the houseboats? They preferred it that way because back when the settlers were coming across the lower white river was the most fertile area, but this was like a hundred years before any of the dams. So there would be the rise and the fall of the water. And because of the Cypress swamps and the fact that Cypress floats, the river people adapted their lifestyles with vernacular structures that they built from the materials at hand, floating these homes on Cypress that rose and fell with the natural cycles of the white river. And they had, they had land along the sides where they grew gardens and farmed and kept livestock. And they basically had, the river was a road. So there were grocery boats, there were delivery boats. It was like, you could, that sounds kind of fun, actually. They yeah, that sounds kind of fun. Yeah, they preferred living on houseboats because they wanted to be as close to the river as possible because it was central to their identity because they were multi-ethnic. These are people from all over Europe, 
and Italians and Germans that kept their language. And, uh, you know, a lot of Germans in Stuttgart. Well, some of those folks were river people. Yeah. And African-American descendants, Native American descendants. It was like a big, you know, melting pot on the river. But because they identified with nature and the river and called themselves river people, they were a cohesive community. Everybody worked together because it was they. There's the only community they had. Is what you're saying? A rising tide lifts all houseboats. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not too far. I know. That's like, another. I woke up in Arkansas County, <laughs> but I went to bed in Newton County. What's going on? <laughs> So, but, uh, all right, you know, it actually does sound kind of, what do you think? I mean, that sounds kind of fun, don't you? It does sound fun. I'm just thinking, like, did they just prefer to stay on the river because the the lands would flood and it was just easier to be mobile? What's what they do in Louisiana? I mean, to me, that makes sense. I mean, if you're living in that area and it floods and the rise and the fall of the river, I mean, it makes sense to be... Make sure you got some good chains. That's all. You know, have some security, not having your house washed away. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a lot of the a lot of the uh, Bayou folks down in the south South Louisiana too. They do kind of the similar stuff. It sounds yes, very carefree. Uh, I mean, I it's characteristic of what is known as a riparian culture. So it is going on even today, somewhat rip, in Louisiana. What's riparian culture? Um, on the riverbank. What's a riparian culture? On the riverbank. That's what that means. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And the thing is, Andrea, one of the sounds great. Well, one of the reasons that they wanted to be on the water is because they had a sustainable culture where they hand gathered mussel shells, freshwater mussels from the riverbed. And then there were a series of button factories all up and down the White River, which is the longest river, you know. And so they were in Desark and Brinkley and Duval's Bluff and near Clarendon, yeah. all these little button factories. But it wasn't like an industrial factory. It was like a gazebo where people sat around a table and punched out button forms from shells by hand. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah. Buttons are very hard to come by. Way, if, I don't know what, about 1870, 1880? Well, the mother of pearl buttons were so plentiful and the river people were so successful with their sustainable industry that the United States army had a contract with Arkansas to receive, to, to purchase these mother of pearl buttons for army uniforms of world war one after world war two. Nice. Then the rise of plastic and the dams spelled the end of that. Bake light. So they were they, they were having a thriving community for years. Everybody was they kind of held their own together. They had their own kind of like river law, I guess, from what I can tell. Is that is that how how did the the law and order work on the river? Well, it was called river justice, which was an eye for an eye, and drylander justice was what went on in the courtroom, which was not the same. And the reason that Mr. Brown was so close with Helen Spence was because Mr. Brown's father was the only deputy sheriff for Arkansas County that the river people would allow to come down to their area because they had. That's quite common, actually. Yeah. And they had um, a co- an uncle, Archie, that lived on a houseboat. So the family was 
you know, about evenly split between farmers and river folks. Yeah. So they, they let him in because it's like they kind of knew him. That makes sense. I think, you know, he's not 100% trustworthy, but he's more than that other dude, right? I mean, this is the <laughs> stuff they should be teaching the kids for Arkansas history versus yeah. the stuff they're teaching now. No offense. I mean, this is inf- my daughter would be more interested in this than what she has to learn in Arkansas history now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, so I agree. So, kind of give us. So this is this this story that you work so that you've worked so hard on and, and, and maintaining the legacy. Now, are these people related to you? That's a good question. I actually asked your cousin, Billy, if he could help me find out. We kept turning up. Oh, yeah. And Billy Rabinek, Billy, Billy Rabinek is the the man that put us together today. And uh, Billy Rabinek, like I told people, even don't believe me. Like you don't have no Cajuns in here. No, I have Rabinek's and go on from there. Yeah, we go all the way down to South Louisiana. <laughs> He's put us together today and we all want to thank him for for putting us for putting us in touch with each other because we didn't even know each other existed and Denise makes films, I make films. Cool. Who knew? And it's yes, a good story. Yeah. I hope to see so, Julie next Sunday when we take our documentary of our book of my book down to Stuttgart cuz that's where Billy's hopefully going to be able to see the film that he helped make because he did some really interesting research. Nice. Yeah. He was researching family trees. He's like, Oh yeah. And it turns out, and we'll get into that later. So we, we need, we just need to follow the storyline for a second here, I guess. I want to jump to the end, but I can't do that. (laughs) So you were, you were talking to this gentleman, this historian, and he introduced you to, uh, miss, uh, the, Spence. I always get it wrong because my brain doesn't work. I have to go get a new new brain eventually. But, you know, the, it was on recall for years, but then they ran out of parts. So anyway, the sword. So Helen Spence, uh, she's. Um, oh, my gosh. How, how, why? Why in the world is this guy on the kick about Helen Spence? Well, she was his good friend and river people. If they make a promise, even if it takes. 50 years or more, they will keep that promise. And so uh, Helen Spence was basically, according to my research over the years, I'm convinced that she's the actual real life prototype for Charles Portis's character, Maddie Ross. But because Helen Spence was a beloved child of the river and was considered a river rat by drylanders, when Maddie Ross avenged her father, she was treated like a hero. And when Helen Spence avenged her father, River Justice, she was thrown in jail and tortured and murdered. Wow. So let's. So what's the tale of this lady? Can you walk us through it? Yeah. So she was born on a houseboat on the White River around the Clarendon area. And then as she was growing up, floated down with her family, which was her father her stepmother and her disabled sister. Her sister had had childhood polio, but they kept her on the houseboat and cared for her. And Helen's father was named Cicero Spence. And he was a very wise person that a lot of people came to for advice. And that's who Mr. Brown's father, Sheriff Lim Brown, would always go and talk to Helen Spence's dad, Cicero Spence, whenever it was time for somebody on the river to go to a summons 
to the courthouse and they always turned up. <laughs> so that's, he was the sheriff. You're right. And, and so uh, LC was a little boy when he played with Helen, he was like four, five, six years old. And what happened was Helen and her stepmother witnessed the murder of Cicero by a drylander who came in from outside. He came in from Rosedale, Mississippi. And your cousin. What was he doing? Well, there? that's where your cousin came in. Uh, everyone on the river thought it was just a fishing trip. And the guy decided to rob Cicero Spence. And in the process, he shot him and dumped him over the side of the boat. That's what was understood by the river people. But your cousin, Billy, came in after my book came out and did some research and found out there was always this back and forth between Rosedale and the records that I was able to study uh, from the court records of that time in Arkansas County. There seemed to be a lot of back and forth with people from Rosedale, Mississippi, to the lower White River. And Billy came up with some information that, that led us to think there might be a timber connection that the timber companies were hiring mercenaries to run the river people out so they could have access to all that Cypress. Wow. And the river people and were like, that Glee. sounds like some kind of weird. Yeah. That sounds like some kind of weird conspiracy theory that, you know, you know, Alex Jones would come up with or something like that. But at the time and place that these people were living, that happened a lot. I mean, even in presidential politics, Woodrow Wilson, he's, he, he sent his thugs in to break up union lines and they didn't work for Woodrow, but they did. And everybody knew it. It was just really hard to prove. But it's it's in our history books when they teach us that when we're in school. So it's it's for anybody who's listening and thinks, oh, that's just crazy. No, no, no. At the time, this is something that they did. I mean, it makes sense for the time that we, that this takes place. I mean, yeah, it's not unheard of for companies or government to do this kind of to to actually send a mercenary force out to kill a bunch of people. I mean, they just did it, and it's like good luck finding who did that. Probably some way that they do it now, just in a different form or fashion or paper. Now they kill you financially. Yeah. Back then another, they kill you physically. Or kill the reputation of your company. Yeah. Well, that's so, interesting that so, you bring that up we, because actually what the United States federal government did later was achieve the same result that the mercenaries of the timber companies we're doing because the government created all these wildlife refuges all up and down the, the best bottomlands where all my people were and evicted everyone and were burning and sinking houseboats right up through the 1990s. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. There's like a houseboat graveyard wow, that's, down there. If you go further south. You want to talk about reparations. You want to yeah. talk about reparations? That's rep- that somebody needs to pay some reparations for that if they didn't pay them, and they just went in there and got rid of them because they're on now "quote unquote" public land. See, that's what it is. The the rivers, I think, a hundred feet from a riverbank, wherever that riverbank is at that point in time, is public government land. If it's a navigable river, that's that's the way the law is now. There's guys in. Uh, Nevada, they get their land taken away from them because there's a creek that 
get becomes deep enough to navigate once a year. Wow. Well, that's exactly what happened, y'all. All the people that were on the river and had land that they farmed and used adjacent to where they had their houseboats, the government came and paid them, I think it was 25 cents on the dollar and took their land. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. Not a damn thing. Except write a book and make a movie. Congress wants, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. (laughs) So, so, so somebody came in and killed Cicero. Right. And that didn't go over very well, did it? No. And the reason I think that my research showed that a lot of the stories that lined up said that Helen Spence had seen it happen. So that's how I wrote it in the book. Ada was taken aboard the boat after Jack Worrells, which was the name of the guy. Who's Ada? Ada is Helen Spence's stepmother. Helen Spence's real mother died when she was a toddler. And when you asked me before if I was related to anybody in in this story, there is a ghost of a chance that I could have been related to Helen Spence's mother through my maternal grandmother's ancestors. Uh, Her name was Ellen Woods. Well, yeah. And you could go down the rabbit hole forever, but we're all cousins on the river. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, so what happened? Well, in South Arkansas, people really need to realize, too, that there's only there's no, now there's only three million people in the state of Arkansas in the entire state. Most of them reside in Little Rock, northwest Arkansas. That includes Fort Smith mm-hmm. and Jonesboro and a tiny bit of it in Texarkana. The rest of it is just wildly unpopulated. And Stuttgart has 5,000, maybe 8,000 people at most. Uh, and that's like the biggest town down there, just about. So, we're going it, of to course, we're all related only- to each other. There's not much, there's, there's not much pickings. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there used to be. There used to be a ton of prosperity. I'm bringing an exhibit that I curate that shows the level of individual and prosperity in the Delta before all the land grabs and the plantation mentality took hold. And you had all these, you know, thousands and thousands of acre farms that just squashed the family farms out. And uh, Stuttgart is, uh, you know, they, they're Riceland rice, but Arkansas, Riceland food. Yeah. yeah. The Delta feeds the world. But yet the Delta has been purposely depopulated and our infrastructure of the river people, bridges that were built by the river people, like the one that used to mark Helen Spence's birthplace and where my family's houseboat was, the government blew it up when we were making our movie. They blew it up. Wow. You got to see it. You get pictures of it happening? Oh, yeah. We got the only footage because the state, did not announce it through a press release as required by the Arkansas Annotated Code. They used $11 million of taxpayer money to destroy a bridge that the river people built just for petty politics. Send me the link. Petty politics. Send me the link to that that footage if it's online, and I'll put it on the page for this podcast. I sent you my movie. I mean, that's interesting. Well, I can't post your entire movie to the 
pay. I no, mean, I'll try to. Fi- I'll try to find it. Something. It's in a hard drive, and I'll I'll try to send. It. Here, don't pay for the movie. Just watch it free. Oh, I've been it. I've been sending my movie out <laughs> to people to watch free because it, I don't. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there have been so many drylanders and people that are not from the river that have either tried to block or sabotage or steal block sabotage or steal Boy. my copyright and my life's work. Cause I've been working on this wow. since 2010. 12 years. Well, wow. actually the first yeah. article I wrote about river people was in 1997 when I was an editor at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And it was all about muscle shelling because I was up around Possum Grape, one of my favorite names. Okay. And uh, there were yeah. giant Better than piles suck. of muscle shells. Yeah. That. So they blew up the bridge, but you said <laughs> so, toad suck, and that reminds me of the ferry. I want a ferry. <laughs> I want a ferry where the bridge was destroyed. They need to give back that would the be Helen cool. Spence Memorial Ferry. Well, there's a houseboat. Or there's there's a there's a uh, in Mississippi they've got an abandoned um, an abandoned um, casino riverboat that got sunk and it's now shown back up. You know that would be cool. We should buy that. You could probably get it for nothing. What would we do with it, and how would we get it here? I I, I wouldn't do anything with it because I wouldn't buy it. But somebody should buy it. Right, but. I mean, why would we could not get it here? There's not a navigable riverway. No. I mean, I guess we could take it Mississippi to what's the Arkansas down Fort Smith, Arkansas River. I have no idea. I have anyway. to get a map. Anyways, so tell us some more about Miss Helen Spence. Yes, ma'am. So Helen was beautiful. She was gorgeous. I call her the Coco Chanel of the river because she sewed like my river grannies. She sewed all her own clothes. And she could tat lace, but she could also shoot like a sharpshooter because Cicero, having no sons, had taught Helen and her sister all his survival skills. And so Helen was a tomboy, but she was also a gorgeous young lady and very fashionable. And when Jack Worrells shot and killed her father, Ada ended up being taken by him and he pushed the boat away and Helen was discovered floating down river in shock and Jack Worrells raped and beat Helen's stepmother and she died a few days later in the Memphis hospital. And then Helen was orphaned completely because some cousins came and took her disabled sister who could not walk, took her back with them to Oklahoma. So Helen Spence was completely alone and she was, in the throes of, of deep grief. And she was staying in protective custody with a local sheriff and his wife in DeWitt, Arkansas. And when the trial happened, she was wearing a beautiful red velvet suit that she had sewn herself. She had a white rabbit fur muff and she sat right down front. And when it looked like Jack Worlds was going to get off with killing her father, because they had not, located Cicero's body yet. So whatever the legal term for that is, uh, there was a chance that Jack Worlds, Habeas Corpus. right. There was a chance that Jack Worlds would get off and she stood up in court and pulled the pearl handled ladies pistol that she had hidden inside her firm ref and shot Jack Worlds in the chest four times in such a tight pattern. You could put a hat over it. 
Wow. Wow. So with, and uh, Billy did a little research, and he found that my grandmother's uncle was his attorney standing right there next to him. Oh, well, it's a good thing she was such a good shot because nobody else was in any danger. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, as my uncle, I would still be here, but I might miss a couple of cousins. Well, oh, I found gosh. I have found two long lost cousins in the course of making this film, and they both helped me with making the film. Nice. So, but they obviously she's in court, so she immediately gets arrested, right? Sheriff Lim, Elsie Brown's dad came up to her and she handed him the gun and then they whisked her off to a side room and Sheriff Lim couldn't get his hands to stop shaking and was trying to get the gun open to get the bullets out. And Helen Spence just said, here, let me help you. It tends to stick and snatch the gun out of his hand. And then all the judge and the deputies and everybody dove under the table. (laughs) And (laughs) she said, it tends to stick. So... That's hella. That's hilarious. That like, is, no, don't worry about it. Come over here. Look here. I tend to stick. And it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> You're giving the criminal back the gun. <laughs> Go blow everybody away. <laughs> that's funny. That's hilarious. We had fun filming that scene. But yeah, so Mr. Brown I'm sure. knew what was happening because not only was his dad in there and came out and told him everything that happened, but. Mr. Brown was playing kickball on the court square with a bunch of kids because it was like a holiday. There were so many people there at the DeWitt court square to see the trial of Jack Worlds. And she brought River Justice into the courtroom, and that's when everything started getting crazy. So they whisk her away to jail? What do they do? They were going to wait for the grand jury to decide if she was going to get a lesser charge of manslaughter. She was only 17 years old when this happened. Oh, she's just 17. Yeah. And so there was also an election year going on. So the governor kept hinting that he was going to pardon her if he got elected. So she was allowed to basically live and at the sheriff and the sheriff's wife in DeWitt where she had stayed earlier. And then she got a job at a local cafe in DeWitt and was doing so well that the county judge allowed her to move in with a a lady named Ina Mayberry. It's a wonderful Arkansas name. That's a very Southern name right there. Ina Mayberry. It's like, okay, she's from Arkansas. Yes. And (laughs) they lived there and worked in the, there was a, little place to our apartment on top of this little cafe in DeWitt and she was doing great. And right before they decided her fate with the uh, legal outcome, the manager of the cafe turned up dead shot with his own gun and Helen was the prime suspect. Oh no. Right. So they took her in again. Why was she the prime subject? Well, because she had just shot Jack Worlds a few months before in front of the whole county. Oh, yeah. so they, but she had a reason to shoot that guy. She had a reason to shoot this other dude. And well, do we know, did she shoot him for sure? I, th- that's a funny uh, division between river people and drylanders. River people all line up and say, Anybody could have killed Jack Worlds. The word was in Arkansas County, he needed killing because he was such an offensive. <laughs> oh, did I say Jack Worlds? I'm talking about the cafe guy. Not, 
Yeah. Jim Bohatz. The cafe guy. He was another man that needed killing. Jim Bohatz was his name. (laughs) And uh, nobody could stand him. I need killing. Well, he was just awful. He drove this flashy car. I go in there. Yeah. And he put his hands all over all the women that worked at the restaurant. And he was just a loud, obnoxious, hateful person. Oh, you would get. No. My grandfather, Donald Newton. If you he if this boy would have grabbed my grandma up, Donald Newton would have he the, the, he'd been serving his ass in the in, in for the steaks later that day because there's no way that you'd touch my grandfather's wife. He he soon kill you to look at you. No way. I don't see I don't see how he lived that as long as he did. He and that's that. why the case went cold. They they investigated. Helen Spence yeah. was brought in. <laughs> Could have been anybody. Said, I did not do it. I did not do it. But there were people that were drylanders who claimed that. Did you ask my papa? She did. <laughs> I'm sure my grandfather went in there to that restaurant. Probably. I mean, yeah, because he was rich. You know, he's one of the richer guys because he owned a junkyard. So if he had touched, if he had touched my grandma, oh my god. Like a chicken and everybody would show my 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 great uncle's name was chicken because he ran really <laughs> fast and had really thin legs. So they called him chicken. And he and my he and my 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 grandfather, this is 30. So they'd be young men. Oh, yeah. They would have killed him. He would have already been dead. So in other words, this guy at the cafe has a long list of people who want to shoot him. <laughs> right. That's basically what it boiled down huh? to. The case went cold because it was like one of those Agatha Christie type stories where everybody wanted him dead and anybody could have done it. But Helen maintained that she did not. She probably didn't, more than likely. But it does come no. back well, to I don't know. Now, if he was molesting her, if he, if he was molesting her, he might have got shot because they don't, river people are, are like the hill people. They don't put up with that. Yeah, I'm getting ready to say, if he's like touchy-feely, a bit inappropriate, she'd probably, if she, if she yeah. shot a guy in open court. Yeah, I she mean. might shoot him. Absolutely. She's 19, 20 and years he, old. He so, was, no, I don't think. I, and Jim Bohatz was shot with his own gun and his big flashy fancy car with the running boards um, was parked under this oak tree at this makeout spot on the edge of DeWitt that I've actually been to. And well, I didn't go there to make out. I went there to see where he had. I was going to say, Hey, what kind of movie is this? (laughs) This is a very educational. uh, The only explosion in my movie are the ones caused by the government. Yeah. But but the, the, uh, (laughs) that's funny. I'm going to recover from that one. Anyway. um, So, See, they anybody could have killed this dude. We don't know who did what, and they blame her because she's around, but they couldn't prove nothing, so they let her go. So, what happens to right. Miss Helen? Well, she ended up getting a a very sh- much shorter sentence for manslaughter. They had threatened to send her to the electric chair. In fact, when she shot Jack Worlds, and all these reporters were in the courtroom because they had been in the area to cover the the very first food riot of the Great Depression, which was in nearby England, Arkansas. So they came over to... I didn't know this. I didn't either until I started doing research for the book. Wow. England, Arkansas. I drove through there all my life because that's how you get from here to the here to Stuttgart. 
And England's a little bitty town with a railroad, lots of cotton. Uh, it's interesting. So what? Back then, so they they were yeah, involved. Were they involved in the food riot? Uh, the no, the the not the river people. The river people never got hungry because they were down on the river. It was the poor. Uh, There's lots of gar in that in that river. Oh yeah, you know it. I've I've seen some. But the I got pictures that, of my grandfather with the gar as big as the boat. He he said you you go get them and you'd have to shoot them when you get them in the boat because you get ahead take your twenty two with you because they just sink your boat. Yeah, the first gar I ever saw was wow. on the White River, and it was as tall as I was, but I was only about four years old at the time. But it was still a big gar, and it was very impressive. But um, so England, Arkansas yeah, was the breadbasket back in the day, but we're talking about 1930, 1931 was when the trial took place, and it was starting to become winter. It was January of 1931 that the trial took place of Jack Worlds and she shot him. Uh, and all she said to the reporters was, well, he killed my daddy because she was doing what she had been raised to do in river culture, which was protect. Yeah. And, you know, and he was the sheriff of the river people. Basically, they all she came to the sheriff of the river people. Yeah. That's why I think Jack Worlds yeah, was making he's a, doing it. an example out of him and what happened to yeah. Ada to terrorize the other river people. But she got sent to the Arkansas women's prison on a lesser charge of manslaughter and was paroled before the end of her two year sentence. And that's when the Jack Worlds, uh, excuse me, the Jim Bohots, uh, the, the, the guy with the uh, that was killed, that Caught. ran the yeah. cafe. That's when his death murder comes back to haunt us because. Helen got paroled. She made it through the pea farm. It was a, a hell hole and it was, a, you know, slave labor, hoe squad type thing over north of the Arkansas River between Jacksonville and Cabot in North Pulaski County. That's true. But she made it through OK. They didn't torture her. Then she was paroled. And then that's when things get crazy, because according to the Gazette Archives, she was paroled and she took a job at a restaurant in Little Rock that they gave the name for in the Gazette article and said that she was working there under an assumed name. But less than a week later, she came to the Little Rock police station and spoke to a detective, James Pitcock. And the next thing you know, she's confessing to killing Jim Bohats, the cafe guy, and nobody can figure out why. And she gets sent back to the pea farm, and that's when they start to torture her. Now, it took years to Why find in out. the world do they have this? Say again. Why, why did they have their sights set on her for this? But she confessed. Why would she confess? It. Would she just want to go back to prison because she felt comfortable that way, or what? These are all things. Different that- times, man. People... Yeah, these are no Miranda warnings, none of that stuff. They had no rights. But she then. voluntarily went in the police station and made Probably a confession. Probably after getting her ass kicked at the detect at the police station. What happened was you know we got I mean? a photograph that shows her uh, in a very fancy dress, but because she had been uh, been paroled not to work in a restaurant, it took my book coming out and us going and meeting with a bunch. of to people in the community where the pea farm used to stand 
because it's a very strange place, 200 acres. Now it's a subdivision, but it's unfinished. There's no sidewalks, but all the streets are named for women prisoners. And it was only discovered that that's what that was after my book came out. And when I went and met with all these people, they explained that the prison documents I had showed that when she was paroled, there was a man in Lone Oak County who was the head of the, he was the superintendent of Lone Oak County schools during the 1930s, had signed her parole bond and basically bought her from the prison because that was what we found. Ouch. That the pea farm was a front for trafficking in the 1930s. That's oh, how wow. they got money for the person. So basically, so someone paid for her parole and she was basically bought by somebody? Yes. Am I and hearing that was, right? Yes. And then, but I didn't understand what this document meant when I wrote the book. But when we got the book and went and, and met with all these people at these community and historical society meetings, they said, here's what you don't know. The women from the pea farm were rented out. You could check them out like a book. You could buy one, depending on how much money. The guy that bought Helen Spence parole, and there was an employment agreement that he signed as well, uh, paid $1,000 for her in 1934. Wow. That's that's somebody's house. So that, that's I mean, houses cost. that. So did she think maybe, ooh, if I can confess to this murder, maybe they'll send me to a different prison. I don't have to be with this guy. Well, she she ran away from his plantation in Scott, Arkansas. He was a wealthy plantation owner because back then a thousand dollars was like, like you said, a house is like thirty five thousand dollars or more today. Yeah. With inflation. But she went wow. to the detective, I think, for help. And then he railroaded her into this confession because there's a photograph in my book and you can tell by the way she's looking at this detective. He looks like something out of a Tennessee Williams, you know, big daddy only gone bad kind of guy in a seersucker suit with a cigar. And she is giving him a look that if looks could kill, you know, I mean, definitely. And so she went back to the pea farm because she was railroaded into that confession, because she didn't want to be uh, the sex slave of a planter on a plantation in Scott, Arkansas. And that's when they began torturing her in the prison systematically. And the guy that she uh, went to, James Pitcock, he had done the same thing to another woman six years before. Winona Green was her name, and she was a young, beautiful murder suspect. And so he got her to basically his claim to fame was I get all the women murder suspects. I'm your guy. So he had a pattern. But it's wow. That's a detective, right? Yeah. James Pitcock. And so she went back to the pea farm and everything was different now. She's escaped three times, but she is she she has then escaped three times. That's when she became an escape artist, and that's when she used her river skills, which included sewing, to do I'd, her escape dress. I'd, she, I'd get the hell out of there, too, if I was being abused. I mean, some of the abuse that she got in the prison was what? Oh, my God. Well, she wasn't the only one. We found actual uh, historic documents online about Winona Green 
six years before Helen Spence. Helen Spence in the 1930s, uh, 1934, especially at the pea farm, were stripped naked and spread eagled over a pickle barrel and flogged with a leather strop called the black snake. But there were a lot of other, I got her whole prison file sent to me from the Arkansas Department of Corrections. And Helen Spence was only five feet tall and 125 pounds, size five shoe. So yeah, she was tiny, but they were beating her. They were putting her into cages and setting them out in the sun. Wow. And God knows what else, but she didn't want to stay. At cool hand Luke shit going on. Do I? It's a cool hand Luke shit going on there. Well, after all of this happened, I mean, the everybody remembers Brubaker. That was about Arkansas's Tucker yeah. prison and Cummins prison. Brubaker. Yeah. It was bad. This bad. It makes it makes a Chicago prison that was mostly just overcrowded look like a vacation a lot of these a lot of these work farms god mm-hmm. you didn't want to get on one of those and that's Ooh, exactly no. where she that's was and uh news. the girls at the farm it was never more than a a couple or three dozen women and there was one guy that was the trusty guard but he himself was a convicted murderer his name was frank martin so you've got the trifecta of bad guys you've got jack Worrells, who killed sister o spence and everything set in motion. Then you've got Jim Bohatz, the wild card that comes back to haunt us. And then Frank Martin, the trusty guard who took the rap for killing Helen Spence shot while escaping quote unquote. But she did make three, possibly five escape attempts because they did actually keep punishment. Reports. Oh my Lord. Yeah. And how she did it, Andrea was she saved the red and white cloth gingham napkins from the prison laundry, sewed them into the lining of her prison dress in such a way that it looked like a couture garment. And when they shipped the prisoners up to Memphis to send them to the brothels to make money for the pea farm, she wow. put her dress Wait. on. They sent them to the brothels in, in Memphis? I guess the business in the uh, uh, North Pulaski got slow because of the Great Depression, and they took those girls where the money was and made them turn tricks to bring money back to the prison. Wow. And, so they, and they didn't get to keep any of it either, did they? <laughs> what do you think? When she they was, were just trafficked, basically. Right. And when she was killed, they looked through her pockets, and all she had was a tiny little broken mirror and a little lipstick and a broken comb. She didn't have anything. Um, but what she did have was her skills. And she sewed the gingham cloth napkins into the lining of her prison dress. And when they got to West Memphis, the bus stopped at the station and she requested to use the ladies room, went in there, turned her dress inside out and just waltzed away because she was gorgeous. Yeah. And she's dressed, dressed differently in a different outfit and they probably fix, weren't paying attention. Fix her hair up a little bit, wash her face. Yeah, because she yeah. really was beautiful, very her. dark, beautiful, silky black hair, dark brown eyes, very petite, gorgeous smile. Even her mugshot looks like a fashion advertisement. <laughs> so how did she keep getting caught to going back? Was she just not able to disappear or is it difficult in that time frame to? Well, or was it just the fact that, you know, she 
How they, did it happen? They always knew that she would go to the only place that she cared about, which was back to the, the lower river. white river. And so they always caught up with her. Wow. The first time she escaped, she was gone for a few hours. The second time, according to the report, she was captured. She made it all the way to the Arkansas river uh, from the location of the pea farm in North Pulaski County. But she, they caught up with her at the river there. Um, I don't know how long it took for them to catch up with her after they took her to, to go to Memphis and she escaped from the West Memphis bus station, but they followed her route that she would take to get back to the river. And then they really started torturing her because they knew that she knew that they knew that she knew what they were up to. And they even sent her to uh, like the state mental asylum and they kept her there for a few weeks, but they told the prison, she is not crazy. Um, we need space for people who are insane here. So take her back to the prison. But while she was at the uh, Arkansas mental asylum, she wrote a memoir and being so young and innocent, she provided the return address of the prison. And she sent this memoir to uh. Liberty magazine where it got rejected and sent back to the prison. So then they really, her days were numbered. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Now they know all about her wanting to do this, that, and the other and wanting to tell. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So how did all this, so she, she gets out is, so I'm always interested. Was, was there a car chase? A car chase? Was a car chase? She, she got out of that bus and out of that bus depot. And I don't know, we do have a, we have a wonderful Model T that I got to use for free for my friend in the film. And that was so much fun. Nice. So much fun. But yeah, speaking of during this time period, this was the summer of 1934. So that was when the uh, Clyde Barrow gang and Bonnie Parker kept crisscrossing Arkansas in their quote unquote death cars. So there was stuff going on that was in the news nonstop. And when they finally did catch up with uh, Bonnie and Clyde, it was after they had crisscrossed Arkansas to get over to Louisiana and they had a stolen Arkansas plate on their car. Their bodies were taken and put on display in Dallas and sold 500,000 copies of the Dallas morning news. And so Helen wow. was headed for the same treatment because they began equating her with an outlaw when she really wasn't. She was more like Maddie Ross. She's just trying to survive. I bet you a dollar that because the river river folks, they probably it could. Wouldn't it be interesting if when one of those escapes, when she finally got home and there's Bonnie. Just hanging out because that's what that's where these that's where Bonnie and Clyde had to hang out with the people who weren't interested in dealing with the law. Yeah. So, you know, if they got to have pit stop, you got to buy some gas, need to take a bath. You're going to find somebody like the river folks or whatever. And, oh, the river people you know, wouldn't have put bill, up with Clyde. Know who you are. The river people would not have put up. He wouldn't have lasted really? 10 minutes on the levee. Clyde Barrow. They were spending their times in motor. I didn't mean that they were going to be there partying with them. I mean, they would stop there, and, you know, get gas or something and keep moving because they're not. These people aren't going to report them to the cops. 
Oh, no. They wouldn't take, uh, they take wouldn't, manners in their own hands. No, because actually there were river people that uh, had interacted with Cole Younger and his gang, the Younger Brothers. Yeah. Uh, that had been down in the lower White River area near a place called Cold Spring. So I have some stories in my book about that. So they were not, they yeah, did not look they down on outlaws. Cohorts. Yeah, they did not look down on outlaws or anything, the river people, but they weren't Just about don't to. Just do anything bad while you're here. Yeah. They didn't want any drama on their water. Yeah. Yeah. So how come the river people would be like, you know, screw you, you have one of my own, I'm going to go um, bust her out of jail? Because like, yeah, what would prevent that? Like myself, uh, these were people that traveling was, unless it was by the river route, they didn't have cars. Uh, They didn't have cars. It was very, good point. even today, it's so remote. You go down below St. Charles and you feel like you're in a different primeval world. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you can go to the Stuttgart Airport where there's still remnants of the World War II uh, training facility that they did for the Air Force. You walk in there and and the bunkers where they kept the bombs and the ammunition is still there. And the train depot where the they would take the soldiers, the soldiers came in through train. They didn't come flying in. There's, yeah, yeah. They came in through train because there's too many of them. And it's all still there or the remnants of it are there. And it's... Like it hasn't been gone for more than 10, 15 years, but it's been 60, 70 years since those things quit being used. Wow. It's interesting. Yeah, funny you should mention that. I want to go see this stuff. Oh, I would love for you to watch the movie. And the thing about it is it sounds like it would be just the most depressing movie of all time because this poor woman is forced to endure these terrible things. And she's not an outlaw. She was she was a woman who knew too much and could express herself. And so once they read what she wrote, they knew that they could not let her tell her story about what was really going on behind the closed doors of the pea farm. And uh, yeah, but the thing about Stuttgart. So tell me how, what a thing about Stuttgart? Go ahead. I was going to tell you because Mr. Brown, my friend who he passed away in 2015, but he always wanted the book to become a movie. And so I told him, I promised I would do whatever it took. So he would be really happy to know that I'm sharing with you this wild story he told me that is not in the book because it was from his later uh, 12, 13 year old, 14 year old years uh, at, at school. It was about the Stuttgart pilot training program prior to world war two. Like you were talking. Oh yeah. So they had gliders. Okay. They were training these guys to use gliders. Okay. And they flew a glider out over um, the Big Creek, Charlton Creek area, which is a swamp near Forks LaGrue Swamp. And the glider went down. And Elsie Brown found it when he was out running traps with his wolf dog. It was not a dog. It was He had a companion who was a wolf that he had raised from a puppy. And so they would go and check traps in the swamps. And Elsie found the glider crashed in the swamp with the two dead pilots and he dug makeshift graves and buried those pilots and tried to 
get brush and hide the glider because he didn't want anyone to think that river people had shot down a plane. He was trying to protect. Oh, wow. (laughs) So he goes to school, which was a one room schoolhouse. And he's like in the eighth or ninth grade. And here comes the military to the one room schoolhouse. And they had found out looking for their, they had found out that LC Brown was the best tracker. And so they wanted to talk to him. And when he wouldn't tell them anything, he just would not talk. They started threatening him. And then when they couldn't threaten him, they started threatening to have his father's uh, retirement from World War One taken away. And that's when. Which they couldn't have ever done. Well, they were trying to scare a kid, you know, into doing what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so yeah. the teacher came to the military men and pushed Elsie out of the way and said, look here, you're never going to get anywhere with this boy. Take him home, talk with his father, work something out. You're not going to get anywhere threatening him. So they did that. And the dad told Sheriff Lim told Elsie, show him what you found. Nobody's in trouble. It was an accident. No river people are going to be punished. Nobody shot it down. So he, Elsie took Wolf and the two military guys into the swamp and they were real nervous to be walking through a swamp with a wolf. <laughs> and Elsie said, and a kid that knows how to right, shoot. Right. And Elsie said that he was so PO'd at these two guys for being so heavy handed that he led them around in circles for four hours, even though they could have gone to the plane in like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so how did what how did the, how did uh, uh this lady's story end helen spence's story ends in a hopeful way because even though she was shot while escaping she met people on the road that remember her to this day their descendants we interviewed two families that were the last ones to see helen as she walked down the road. She just basically climbed over a fence one, one day after they had beaten her and and done everything they could do to try to kill her. And she kept, she was on digitalis. That's how bad off she was, but she just kept going and they sent a posse after her. And it's not for certain who pulled the trigger because Frank Martin took the rap, but Frank Martin had a shotgun and Helen Spence was shot with a pistol shot, an execution style shot behind the right ear in front of two women. Oh, wow. In front of two women that were uh, niece and, and, and aunt that were hanging clothes on the line on Carmichael Road by a well. And they had just given Helen Spence civilians her last drink of water. And after I made the movie, I found out I went to school with their great, great niece. It's all connected. Oh wow! So they, they and she she was literally shot behind the ear. Yes, and then even worse than that, after these two nice ladies put a sheet from the line to cover her body, some newspaper men or people from the prison came up and ripped open her blouse and shoved a pistol down her handmade bra to make it look like she was dangerous that she had come. 10 miles through the woods in the middle of the night with a giant pistol between her in her cleavage, which was. So they put the pistol after she was dead. Oh, wow. So yeah. 
They took a picture of it so everybody could think she had this big old gun that she's running around with. Yeah, like, like how yeah. she's going to get a gun when she's in prison. I yeah. mean, really? Oh, that was it. so. They said that did anything pause it? But it was it was all a setup. Oh, yeah. Did anything positive come out of this? Like, was there any prison reform because of what happened, or anything? The warden, well, the warden, hopeful. and her husband both lost their jobs, which were which was the worst that could happen so to the you warden in the Great was a woman? Depression. Well, it was the women's prison. Yes. The woman who was the warden. Ooh, we've got a really great actress in our film that portrays her kind of like a kind of like a southern version version of Nurse Ratchet. You know? <laughs> ah, okay. She's very effective. You make but, Andrea mad enough. You <laughs> so the the warden I'm not that kind of nurse. <laughs> no, she's scary. <laughs> and there were actual medical tortures taking place in the prison. I just don't like to talk about it, but that is part of the horribleness of the system. I think we really need to do some more research on this prison system thing that they got going on. I'd like to delve deep and to see what's going on with that and what legislature legislatures did to make that stop. And why they, didn't they, they tore it down? Place? They tore it down to the ground after the scandal of the cover up of Helen Spence getting quote unquote shot while escaping because the cover up was based on this ridiculous thing, which was the rejection slip of her memoir from Liberty magazine was found in her cage and it supposedly she had written on it. I will never be taken alive, but she was such a prolific writer that they put these two examples of her uh, handwriting side by side on the front page of the Gazette and the grand jury said this is a forgery someone had written on the back of her rejection slip forged her supposed I will not be taken alive and it all fell apart from there oh, wow. yeah and the superintendent of the entire prison system a man named A.G. Stedman the one that had ordered them to keep her in a cage uh, he had to resign he resigned in disgrace but the sad thing is, Andrea, uh, Frank Martin, the guy who took the rap as the supposed trigger man, when there is a question that it might have been a Brockman behind the, the the pistol trigger, pulling the trigger, he was let off on a technicality from uh, being held responsible for shooting her. And he went on to, they had cut a deal with him, so he was paroled. And he was not a nice man, but here's some good river justice for you. After he had been paroled for years and had a wife and children, and he was mean to all of them, he was working as a uh, uh, farm laborer, and he went into a small town grocery in Casco that Billy sent me photographs of. Anyway, Cloud's Grocery. And there was a lady working there behind the counter, and she was from the river, but Frank Martin, he didn't know that. And he's always bragging, I'm the one that shot the notorious Helen Spence. Well, the lady behind the counter said, oh, you want a, a loaf of bread? Here's a different loaf of bread. It costs less, but it's just as good. So Frank Martin took that loaf of bread, went home, had dinner, and did not wake up the next morning. And the river people always said the river got him. And after that, Helen Spence's body was put on display in North Little Rock and again in Arkansas County. And the river people came in the middle of the night, took her body to the potter's field of the St. Charles Cemetery, which is where her houseboat was when she was growing up later. 
and they buried her. And now people make pilgrimages to her grave. And my mentor, who's a philanthropist who helped me with the film, she uh, purchased a footstone for Helen Spence because the river people had had planted a cedar tree at the head of her grave. And that's still there. And it's beautiful. And, And so people come to her grave and they plant flowers and they leave mussel shells on her grave. And it's a place of pilgrimage because our, our thing is to clear Helen Spence's name because even as recently as a few years ago, Paul, there was a state archives person, a staffer who said at a seminar in front of a room full of educators that Helen Spence deserved what she got because she had been sleeping around. She had been sleeping around in a women's prison and got pregnant when my book, Jeez. in my book, it says very clearly that five medical professionals, including the state medical examiner, were on hand at the autopsy, and they all five said she's not pregnant. So that was another red herring. So I'm just doing my best to keep my vow to Mr. Brown. And like he vowed. Just because somebody is promiscuous or seems on the outside is promiscuous, one, it doesn't apply in this case because she didn't have a chance to. She's in jail for as soon as she turned around, but doesn't make any difference. They're still a human being. And two, they're freaking. Yeah. Well, OK, so she had she had to do prostitution work. It's not by choice. They told her she had to do it. So I don't see why anybody should ever say that the woman sleeps around. So she's not worth it anyway. Yeah, that's not right. That's terrible. I got one question, though. Exactly what was the catalyst that broke this whole thing open? Because it sounds like to me, I'm just thinking that if they shot her, then they've then how how did the information come out that someone from the prison just have like, I don't know, a moment of, oh, I got to do the right thing. Did the ladies hold and stuff? What actually broke the scandal? Of what they did. Well, to her. here's it. Here's an example of how the old Delta saying, "Even a blind hog can find an acorn once in a while," really is true. <laughs> because what happened was, it is true. Yeah, true. the media had written all these stories about Helen Spence. I mean, it was from the New York Times. It was picked up by the Associated Press. So it was all over the local papers. It was all over. And back then you had morning papers and afternoon papers too, and everything was super cheap. So there was just tons and tons of copy about Helen Spence. And that's what made it so difficult to find accounts that lined up exactly because people just started writing stuff about her like she was some kind of made up superhero but after she was shot while escaping um all the river people and even the drylanders too could see through it because it was so blatantly a cover-up and there was just this huge outcry and all the media that coverage that had you know been a two-edged sword back when she was still alive, it brought the house down because the the journalists themselves were like, no, no, this is. Yeah, they started seeing. They're like, wait, what's going on? And yeah. then the grand jury. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They heard all the real evidence, not the garbage yellow journalism. This is the era, still the era of yellow journalism. I mean, Spanish-American war. Was not a real war. It was yellow journalism put on by Pulitzer and Hearst. They're making up headlines. 
So that they just, these guys writing for these papers just think it's okay to do that because look at Hearst did it. Randolph Hearst did it. So, well, there was never any it. bylines on we? any of these stories. No bylines whatsoever. So consider. Yes, because they were false. They were uh, made up. They they were just it was a free for all back then because paper was cheap because Arkansas yeah. was being clear cut and all the pulp was going into newsprint and uh, you know not a lot has changed uh, from back then to yeah. now because now we just have lots of uh, ions turning your screen colors so that uh, you can see the false information that comes from everywhere called Facebook and YouTube and whatever. But that's where I am okay. thankful because <laughs> check this out. When I wrote this book, uh, it was back in 2010. I've been working on, you know, getting the film done ever since. And it's finally done. But when I was writing it, there was no podcasting. Now there's podcasting. And because of people like you, Helen Spence is known, thanks to my audio book, all over the world. But she's still not known in Arkansas because nobody wants a river rat to stand up and tell the truth. And that's what I am. I'm a river rat. Well, you know, I, Andrea and I are all for it. Yes. Please stand up and tell the truth. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of stories in in Arkansas that people just don't talk about. And that's what we do in Arkansas. I think that's one of our fortes of social interaction is we just don't talk about that, that stuff around here. That's kind of a, thing that comes along all the time um so where can they find your book one well you can find it online and you can find it at for example in stuttgart at the museum of the grand prairie they they've been selling it for years and you can request it at your local bookstore and i am in talks with a publisher for my second book which is basically a sequel to this which contains a lot more memories and stories from my family that were river people. And uh, there is a funny saying on the, on the river. I don't know if this will be bleeped out or not, but I kept hearing it. No, there's no bleeping oh, okay. here. You can say whatever the hell you well, want. It's it funny matter. because, you know, my, <laughs> my film was thoroughly rejected. My book's never been uh, reviewed in Arkansas. It was reviewed outside the state of Arkansas and called a work of regional significance, but there's been a total media blackout on my work and all the film festivals rejected it. And I'm like, what's going on? I think it's a good film. And I'm, I'm, what am I chop liver? Oh, I'm a real well, rat. And one of the, one I, of the guys said to me, no, it's not oh, that. I'll tell you what he said. It's, he said, it's because there's two kinds of people in this world, river rats and sons of bitches. Now, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I make films. I've got, for people who don't know, I've got an Emmy, seven Associated Press Awards for editing. Awesome. Uh, and I've got, uh, I've got a, um, a 13, uh, film festival, uh, places and wins and so on and so forth. I got a lot of accolades over it. And I can tell you right now, it's, just getting when somebody rejects your film 
depends on the fill depends on where you're putting it in because you really have to judge the festival and the stuff that they've awarded to in the past whether or not they're going to even let it in and that's because it's all i hate to say it but it's true it's all nepotism in this business Ugh. it's who you know well that's when that you is know funny them. that you and say that's just that. the way it is that is funny that you say that because the top two producer the executive producers of my little low budget indie Arkansas history documentary based on my book were both women who won 2022's Arkansas governor's award for lifelong, you know, everything, you know, I don't even know the yeah. names of these awards. The other one, she was the uh, 2022 Arkansas Women's Hall of Fame inductee. Those were my executive producers of my nonprofit affiliated film. So I have to wonder is it the subject matter? Because their other film that they did together, Champion Trees, An Artist's Journey, well, uh, was an Emmy, won three Emmys. Well, uh, what we can do then is we can encourage everyone listening, which are a lot of locals, a lot of locals listen to what we're talking about, mostly up in Northwest Arkansas. But, you know, Billy Rabideck's obviously going to be listening because we keep talking about him. He's like, ooh, you're going to talk about me? I'm going to listen. Anyway, um, <laughs> I used to I, live let's, in let's watch Valley. it. Where's, where can the movie? Oh, oh I, I had to go out to Boxley uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm trying to do one on Haley Zega that uh, she got lost out there for two days and she was a six-year-old oh. girl oh my gosh and some other yeah, man a crazy. hiker just got lost in Hemden hollow i think he there's scuttle but that he was out there doing something else so oh. we'll have to oh. save that for later because that's I, a whole other podcast something else was going yeah. on there yeah no, yeah love, yeah, yeah. we're Ozarks. working on that one too i love the delta i love the ozarks i used to live in the boxley valley which is like heaven on earth and we drank water out of an artesian yeah. spring at the top of a Bernie Ridge. And now I live next to a oh, creek yeah. in the Washita mountains. So I'm an Arkansas girl. I'm a forest hermit. Oh, wow. So if somebody wants to watch your movie, where can they find it? They can come to Stuttgart November 13th. Uh, but no, that's the only movie theater left in the Delta. Practically is the Stuttgart twin. It took me all summer to negotiate with the out-of-state owner of the Stuttgart Twin uh, to bring this film yeah. to the Delta. I had to raise the money to rent it up front. I rented the other two screenings because, like I said, we were shut out of any festival support. And I did uh, send it to festivals that I thought, based on their track record, would know what I was doing yeah. and, and would appreciate it. But nobody yeah. wants to hear a river rat stand up and tell the truth, and that's to this very day. Huh. Hot Springs has a documentary film festival. They might like you might be. Entered oh, in. that was the first place that I got lied cool. to by. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, you know what they said? Well, let's, do you know what they first said? First thing we need to do. They said gatekeepers. Yeah. They uh -oh, said they said it. you can't get past the gatekeepers. It's the gatekeepers. They won't let you reach your audience. It's the gatekeepers. And I was like, but this is a river film and there's no gates on the levee. <laughs> <laughs> well we're going to watch it we're going to encourage people to watch it is is so we've got you in, in in stuttgart stuttgart arkansas which is three and a half hours from where i'm sitting right now but in oh, stuttgart, you couldn't arkansas, even get what there. day is it showing yeah you could i'm it's just ridiculous our dot is completely closing 
I-30 that whole weekend. So for the first time in Arkansas history, RDOT is closing I-30 between November 11th and 14th, unless unless they canceled it. That was what came out in the paper the other day and on the news. Um, so they're definitely oh, cutting the state in half, RDOT, the same RDOT that destroyed the River People's <laughs> National Historic Bridge at Clarendon. RDOT's really going hard, but we're going to be in the Delta screening it. But after Stuttgart's premiere, it yeah. will be available as a digital yeah. download through my music composer, who's another Delta girl named S.J. Tucker. And she's a goddess, and she uh, okay. did the music, most of the music for the film. You're up in North Arkansas. You probably know the other people that yeah. did music for my film. It's uh, Kelly and Donna Mulholland of Still on the Hill. Okay. Yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah, I don't folk, think I've personally met them, music. but I've heard of them. So, so where is it going to be? Do you have it on a website? Oh no, we we're trying to get a where, website where? called daughteroftheWhiteRiver.com, and we paid money to a drylander to create the website. And he took all the money and he went off to L.A. <laughs> uh, do you have Do you have the uh, Do you have the URL? Do you own the URL? Um, we we have the film, but we are going to make it available as a digital download that you can purchase in a bundle yeah. after the November 13th premiere. I've done all the premieres myself. Okay. So, yeah. So, where can they get the where can they get the download from? How can we buy it? Keep your eyes open for SJ Tucker. She has a digital set of digital platforms that has to do with Bandcamp and Patreon and this and that. But if you keep track, if you start keeping track now of this marvelous singer and performer who's traveled all over the world, but isn't very well known in Arkansas, gee, it's a motif. Maybe it has something to do with us both being Delta artists, Delta born artists. <laughs> I think it's just the people in Arkansas are just different because I ran into the same thing and I'm not, you know, I'm just a dude. And so it's, it's Arkansas has got its problems when it comes to art. So especially digital art and well, video and stuff like that. It's, it's a thing. And I could do a, I could do a whole hour on just the crap that I put up with just being here, but it's nothing. I don't think it's personal. I think we just need to get out of the state. That's all. <laughs> and it's, it's just a, well, that's, this that's, kind of thank the, God for the world wide web. The state. There's plenty of people in yeah, Denmark, exactly. in Canada, so, in Japan who are huge fans of Dylan yeah. Spence. <laughs> All right, so you check her out. She'll obviously she'll probably have a link to the website or to the download whenever it comes out. And we, I really appreciate you coming on and telling us this story. It's pretty. It's been pretty cool. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. And I hope I could distract y'all from, you know, a, a Sunday afternoon to, to think about something that it seems dark, but then you realize she died 88 years ago and she was literally yeah. forgotten about for decades and decades and decades. But we are closer now to clearing her name and restoring her good name and the river people. It's like she's only been gone a few minutes. It's like she's just on the other side of a door. All right. So, Andrea, I guess uh, any thoughts, any last thing? No, just thank you for telling us the story. Learn some new things. And um, yeah. I can't wait to buy your book. Definitely like this story. I definitely want to read more. Very nice. Well, hey, guys, so Andrea, we've got, you don't have to uh, you don't yeah. have to buy my book. I will mail it to you. 
Nice. Well, oh. we'll when we're done with the recording, we'll give you the address. Yes, thank you. I would love that. Yeah. Um, oh, so thanks. we've got some. We've still got some interest. This is kind of a surprise that I pulled on you, Andrea, about about oh. the, about the, the the river people and yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I, you didn't know this was happening, and I was like, oh no, 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 no. We're gonna. This, she might be interested. It's kind of a true crime. Kind yeah, of thing. I like true crime. Yeah, and uh, but we've got some more folks coming up. Um, who was it now that we've got coming up again? Uh, you gotta look at the notes. You're supposed to write this down. Um, <laughs> oh, come hang on. on, come on. Uh, we've got <laughs> the gentleman that's going to talk about um, opera. We have opera. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, or lady, excuse me. Yeah. Um, we've got. You, you wanted to know about the opera, so I was like, I'm gonna book an opera. Um, you know, about Afghanistan. Oh yeah, the people of Afghanistan. That's right. What they, who they really are, and what they really do, and and just how difficult it is to live in Afghanistan, especially during the uh, the war before we left. And that's all that I remember. I know you got three others. I just can't yeah. remember exactly what they are. There's some really interesting stuff coming up. I'm gonna start uh, trying to find even more eclectic stuff if I possibly can. I'm gonna really get some interesting stuff. Do we want to still do any more uh, ghosts or anything like that? Do you want to try uh... to do that again? I don't know. Let's just see what we can find. Because you know, we, can, we I, there's lots of people out there, but it's it's yeah, Sasquatch. I really yes. need to put the Sasquatch together, don't I? Yes, I kind of want to know what is the hype on Bigfoot. Bigfoot, the big feet. There's, big feet. Is it a family of them, or are they big feet? I or have big feet. Foots? I have big feet, but I'm not necessarily Bigfoot. So, I'm, what's the what's the hype? Well, you would be Bigfoot if you only had one. Well, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Silly, dumb. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's it. And you guys, if you want to help us out, please go to the podcasting application of your choosing, what you're listening to us on now, and give us five stars. If you don't give us five stars, I'm going to send um, nothing because I don't know who you are. But you should give me five stars. Yeah, gar. <laughs> I got some, I got a picture of my great uh, great grandfather with that gar in his boat. It's huge. Um, but give us five stars. Leave a review that would help us out very much. Check out my website, paulgnewton.com. It has, uh, you can look at my photography and my video stuff. I'm not there trying to sell you something, but I will in the future because I'm trying to figure that out where I can put swag on there. I'm going to have a t-shirt that says, oh my God, Paul. Because I do say that a lot. <laughs> I do, do say that a lot. I do say that a lot. This is true. That would be a funny t-shirt. <laughs> and it's some other things. But check us out. And the more you rate us, the more people that rate us with five stars, the better we get in the algorithm and the more people can hear us. And I would love for more people to hear us because that's fun and I'd appreciate it. So I guess that's it. I think so. All right. Bye. Bye.
Andrea and I need your help. If you like our episodes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. Not sure exactly how that helps us, but it does, and it makes people want to listen. When they see that five stars and a good review from you, So go to wherever you're listening to your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever, and hit that five stars. 